Live from the Talking Joe studios, it's Talking Joe with Chief and Chris. Hey, 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 it's me, the Chief. I'm joined by my buddy, Diagnostic 80 slash Christopher McLeod of the Full Force and Talking Joes. How's it going, buddy? Yes, well, yes, no. Yes, it's going. No, it's not going well. Oh, what? Um, so I'm actually just going to go, you know, I've had enough of it. I'm going straight in. Inside Chief's mind. Ah! I'm frightening the listeners straight from the get-go. Frightening uh, me because then you haven't yes. said anything yet. Go on, exactly, then. exactly. Uh, what is really grinding my gears, getting on my wick, uh, you know, monkey in the wrench, just, just putting me down? And it is Chief's big mouth. That's your own. That's your own mouth. It's my own mouth, and I am most displeased. Mainly, well, I guess mainly with the brain because that informs what is coming out of my mouth. True. So I'll lay it out for you. you know, a few weeks ago, a buddy of mine at work was on lunch. And he had, he'd been to McDonald's and he had like a Big Mac and I think a burger and nuggets and fries and a milkshake. And I was like, bloody hell, that's a, what are you doing, feeding the 5,000 there? And um, he goes, no, this is just normal for me. I was like, oh, but you know, a few years ago when it was my old job, me and a buddy did like the 10 burger challenge, which is, you know, 10, 10 cheeseburgers from McDonald's. Uh, quick race, loser buys all the burgers. Blimey. And on that scenario, that situation, if you will, my buddy did seven, and I did the ten, and it took me 32 minutes. Not bad, and, not bad. And, yeah, I'm not, not sure what the benchmark is, really. Um, well, I've, I've got a kind of benchmark, but not for Joe Public. I didn't, know that was an, I didn't know that was an actual challenge that was done. Right, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, he's kind of... I said, ah, joking, let's do the ten-bugger challenge. He goes, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then today, I said, uh, what are you doing? Let's, have, let's do the ten-bugger challenge uh, as a joke. And he goes, yeah, all right. And then the guy next to him said, yeah, I'm in. Then two other people said, yeah, we'll do it. And I was like, oh, my, what started here? So, hang on, you'd have to buy everyone's burgers if you lost. Well, we didn't enforce the loser buys. It was just winner gets kudos. Okay, fair enough. And and, and pride is maintained. And um, I thought, you know what, I'd do it. I haven't probably eaten meat in almost a year wow um, wow so wow that was that was the first kind of sticking point but i thought i'd go for it anyway so we ordered 50 burgers got them de- <laughs> got them delivered and uh yeah, all sat de- all sat down in the group kitchen now it was also we kind of did this in honor of fourth of july we're recording on the third of july obviously when this goes live it will be the fourth of july yeah and uh, Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest happens on Coney Island, I think it is, and it's part of the MLE, the Major League Eating Corporation, <laughs> which is uh, uh, an, an American tour of the of the professional eaters. And uh, the king of the hill, the, the top of the pile, is Joey Jaws Chestnut. Now he has won the golden belt, the, go- the mustard belt. Sorry, not the golden belt. He's won the mustard belt eleven times. You know and, far too much about this. And go and Google Joey Chestnut, and that is all you'll need. To, you'll be like in awe of this man. So he, the last year, he set the record. I don't know if it was last year or year before. He so basically they're on the stage. It's like ten thousand people in the crowd watching. Ten minutes, eat as many foot long hot dogs and buns as you can. Okay, footlongs these are, and he holds the world record, which I think is seventy-four in ten minutes. Um, hell. So he has got a technique. Most of them have got the same technique, where they take the bun, dunk it in water, mushes it all down, makes it easier to go down. Then he kind of just chugs, ch- chains the hot dogs down. Mm. And um, <laughs> this is live. It's live on ESPN. I'll be watching it live ESPN, uh, twelve p.m. Eastern time. So that for me over here in the UK, that'll be five p.m. 
uh, ESPN Live. And uh, in honor of that, we kind of did the did it today. So, you know, we're, we're doing 10 burgers. And basically, he ate 74 hot dogs, which is 20,000 calories. So he consumed 10 days worth of food in 10 minutes. That's dangerous, man. So we were doing, I think ours worked out as 10 is 2,600 calories. So it's, you know, what is it? It's two and a half thousand from man, I think. So it's basically a day's food in one meal. Yeah. And so anyway, the five of us, here's, here's how it shook down. In fifth place was L, who did four burgers. Not bad. And then quit. Then next in fourth place was Wacko Jacko, and he did seven burgers and quit. In third place was uh, Andy the Repo Man, and he did eight and a half burgers. I love these nicknames. Uh, In second place was the Chief, (gasps) who was only one of two who completed the challenge, and did 10 burgers in 33 minutes. So I was actually a minute outside my PB, oh, which is mate, most upsetting. That's not bad. It's all right. And mate. 33 minutes. And the winner was Andre, the silent assassin, <laughs> who did 10 burgers in eight minutes. In, in how, how long? Eight minutes. I think he's training to go pro. That is unreal. That so, is uh, unreal. He, he was the dark horse. So I worked for a betting company and someone had kind of priced up a book and he was actually the outsider of the field and he was just going quietly going about his business. I tried the Joey Chestnut dunking the, the buns and it was horrible. Oh, man. And the reason why this is inside my mind is because for about, how long ago was that I did it? It was about seven hours ago. For about seven hours, I have felt like I literally wanted to die. Physically ill, mentally broken. I thought I was you were going to say like this was a week ago or something. No, this, this was today. Just now, wow. So I was hallucinating. I felt faint. I was dizzy. I was stumbling around the office. I was literally just, it was not good at all. That's insane. That's, well, you've only got yourself to blame. And then on the way home, I bought myself some chips and curry sauce, obviously, <laughs> because that is now the standard accompaniment to a Talking Joe episode. So anyone who's listening to this right uh... now, if you haven't got it, pause it. Go out to your local chippy, get your chips and uh, curry sauce, come back and rejoin the pod. The, the, all the Americans are going to come back with like Doritos or something covered yeah. in like barbecue sauce. Like what? What? Yeah. I don't get what this is. Yeah, it was. A, I regret. I regret doing it. I, immediately, as soon as basically about ten minutes before they arrived, I was nervous. I had the shakes, and I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, and I couldn't buckle out. And I, I'd gone through this before previously. Obviously, did it in thirty-two minutes. But there was a couple of people giving it the Charlie Big Spuds, giving it the giving it the large ones. You know, saying I'm going to do it. I can do ten burgers in twenty bites in five minutes. Blah blah blah. That was Andy Repo, and he actually was the one who didn't even finish it. Wow. So wow. Uh, it seems easier than it is. But the burgers, when you get seven, you hit a wall. And you I got can imagine. Bust. Yeah. It, they become dry and tasteless and horrible. But I dug deep, man. I went to places no man should have to go. <laughs> And to the soul of me, I, I dived, it, dived into Chief's soul, and I think I've lost a bit of that soul. Inside yeah. Chief's soul. Yeah. And it's a missing a part now in a burger-shaped hole. But there you go. So it's more of an soul, then, isn't it? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, yes, that's, uh, that's inside my mind. Don't do it. I feel bad. I regret doing it. But, um, you know, I know second place is the first loser, but winners don't quit and quitters don't win. So I'm still here living to tell the tale. Hoorah. Hoorah. How's your week been? Slightly less in the calorie intake, I have to uh, kind of say. Um, but yeah, we're gearing up for the 4th of July. Uh, this morning, funnily enough, I... Excuse me as I burp. All this burgers coming back. So early this morning, I had to take my driver's test for the second time in my life. Uh, okay. Obviously, I passed it in the United Kingdom. And when I moved out here 
or over two years ago i had a year's worth of like i could just drive on my in on my uh, uk license okay got to the end of that and just never bothered to renew like to go to the driver's center and all that kind of do the i had to do a written not a written test but like a touch screen theory test which right. i passed a hundred percent and uh, th- this is this is kind of with very minimal studying i went online and i looked at like a few uh, of those kind of online driving kind of exam type things like quizzes uh yeah. rinse through that i've been driving in the states for ages so it's it's a lot of it was just kind of uh you know logical i suppose or just kind of common sense anyway um i've been putting off the driver's test for a while i I went and got my permit a a couple of weeks back just before we went to joe fest just so kate wouldn't have to do all the driving of all like 12 13 hours of driving so uh yeah got the permit sorted went in this morning first come first serve dude came out with me uh went in the car that i've been driving a toyota camry and i did the test and i passed again with flying colors uh, with just a few minor things that that cropped up, one right when I was doing my parallel park, you hit someone. No, I killed three people, and you're allowed yes. like five in the US. Okay. No, I was doing my par- reverse parallel park and nailed that. That was all smooth, beautiful, lovely stuff. And uh, for some reason, I didn't indicate out as I was about to pull away. And I realised as I did it because we were in this like it was like you know when you go like a an industrial estate with no one about. Uh, yep. They had they had this thing kind of set up, and I kind of I was I was kind of I looked in the mirrors and everything, and went went out, and I thought, well, there's no one about. And then as I pulled away, I'm like, oh, there's a habit that I've got, you know, where I don't indicate every single time, even when there's no one about. And so yeah, he kind of he picked me up on that, which was totally true. Like I, I knew as soon as I did it, I was like, oh, god, I hope I don't fail because of that. Thankfully, it was a it was a minor indiscretion. And there was another minor detail, but it wasn't a big one. So yeah, passed with flying colours, got back, very happy. And now I can just stop having that hanging over me. And now I can drive in the United States legally. Boom. Win. Yes. So that's it. That's all. That's really... I mean, other than that, I've been editing my knackers off. I just finished... Uh, I did a little bit for Analog Toys, uh, Tony Roberts, down in Australia, mate. Or Bosnia or whatever the accent I just did was. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he asked me to do a... What is my worst Cobra figure of all time? Uh, Because he did like a top 10 for Cobra Convergence 4, which is happening right now, this month of July. We've got a special episode of The Full Force dropping on the 4th of July as well. So it's going to completely cross over with this episode as well, which is uh, kind of going to be dropping on the 4th too. Man, I've got loads of work to do. That's all I'm saying. Um, And I did a little clip where I talked about my least favorite Cobra figure, which you can find out if you watch analog tony's top 10 favorite cobras on youtube just go to youtube and type in a n a l o g (laughs) analog (laughs) yeah yeah uh toys and you should and don't take the og out but anyway analog toys (laughs) and you should be it's the most recent video i think if not look for the top 10 favorite cobras okay yeah i'm on it i'm doing it definitely everyone else should do it do it do it! Come on! Kill me! I'm here! Come on! Do it now! Hate my decision as well, everybody. Hate my decision on the worst. Okay. Right. We will. We will. <laughs> I want to dig into some comics, though. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to start today with Special Missions 17, All in a Night's Work. Cover here. Stalker. Looks like he's throwing in some sort of gas or tear grenade into a window. Muskrat's on the other side. Bad guy peeking out through the window. 
like this cover. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, he's even got the pin in his mouth, Stalker. Quality. I've only just noticed that. I think I thought that was a bit of wall debris. Do you know what I mean? Like a right. bit of like crap on the wall behind him. Yep. I, I, that's the first time I've noticed that. Carry on. Good one. Ron Wagner and Bob McLeod. Uh, interiors, Larry Harmer, Herb Trimpe, Inks, Andy Mazinski. Uh, letters Phil Felix and Colours Neil Yomtov. So this one, the Joe team is sent to, is a hostage situation and lots of members of the G.I. Joe team are, are sent here and it's kind of a bit of intrigue about who's inside, etc. There's double crosses. In Siliconville. Si- yeah, why couldn't they say Silicon Valley? I think I it's know. just Larry doing, you know, making up places as he does. I think you know, I, I quite like this make-believe world with lots of different places in it. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the first chronological appearance of Shockwave in the comics. Obviously, we had him uh, last week in Real American Hero, but that was kind of out of sequence. Yeah. This is January 1989. I think we were a bit ahead when we were reading the Real American Hero issue. So I think this is possibly his first appearance. Yeah, we're going to be doing some extreme special missions catch-ups in the next week, couple, week, couple of weeks, aren't we? Correct, yes. Yeah. But this one, yeah. I mean, I... <sighs> I'm probably going to say it's my least favourite special mission yet. I kind of have to agree on that. I think, even though Trimpy's like the art on this one, uh, I think it's a little bit hit and miss and a little bit... It almost feels like there's some real rushed elements of it. And I'm not a massive fan, and I know this happens a lot in the G.I. Joe comics, I'm not a massive fan of the real lack of detail in the backgrounds. I like there to be kind of, you know, lots of detail, and they tend to just go with block colours a lot of the time. And I know that's, you know, that's quite a lot of the G.I. Joe comics, and I don't dislike the G.I. Joe comics. I just think that sometimes I'd, I'd just like to have a little bit more going on in the background. And yeah. in a lot of these shots, there's loads of kind of like, I'd say like not dead space, but just, you know, just a lot of space going on that I think yeah. would be nice to be filled. I'm not a massive fan of that scene when they're all surrounding the building uh, and the helicopters yep. are flying around. It's just because you can't really see much of the building. Everything else is in colour, and then they've yeah. got the the buildings like in black as if the lights are out and they've got like spotlights on. So why can you see the floor? Do you know what I mean? Like I just feel yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a strange one because he also sp- they spend about six or seven pages of setup, which made me think it was going to be something completely different than what it is. It's almost like Dusty wakes the guys up in the middle of the night. You know, some covert secret mission. They're going up in lifts and and you know yeah. up through the the huts and then Stalker meets them with the C one thirty blows off dusty he has to go back but all of that is almost unnecessary Mm. because then like you say you get to that bit in siliconville where this weird square building it's kind of like there's a building from i think it's real american hero she's six and seven way back with the october guard yeah and there's there's a silver kind of a silver building with no seams or no doors yeah yeah. it's kind of like that It's, it's just a weird square building with almost no entry point and now here's another load of joe's sneak peek who appears to be in white? Was that an alternate costume he ever had as a figure, or is that just the is that just the coloring? That was his. his I think it's just the coloring. But his original is like it's kind of like that kind of it's a gray, it's that is soft it? gray. But I think because of the background color, they've had to do him a little bit more stark to kind of stand out. But yeah, I think yep. it's just a coloring issue. There was no. It, I mean, it was sneak peek. Was he had three versions? He had the original, like kind of red and gray. He had yeah. the Night Force kind of awesome colour one, and then he had the even aw- more awesome Tiger Force version, which was the only one we got in the UK, yeah. incidentally. Cool. But, I mean, he yeah, he's there with Scarlet. I think and I think it's only those two, and then the other Joes show up. But, yeah, the, the first sort of six or so, seven pages, not really necessary. No, I mean, it's not. I mean, you could start this issue at that scene with them yeah. surrounding the building because it's not like their names don't get mentioned. It's not like you couldn't yeah. have them, like, exp- like, you know, talk about... 
I think that might be Larry just kind of maybe shining a light on no pun intended with that first panel of dusties but but larry shining a light on you know the always having to be ready to go and like have you know the the soldiers kind of having to be woken at all hours of the day and night or whatever to kind of just react to situations but again i don't I, i agree with you i don't really feel like it's necessary um other than to give a little bit of foreshadowing but even then there's not enough real information going on that they couldn't have been easily laid out in the next few panels of the uh, rest yeah. of the story yeah i agree i mean then then we see the villains of the piece inside and you see scrap iron with a i didn't know he had a little scar on his face but yeah um, he does yeah okay you see you see scrap iron and then you see a techno viper and a toxo viper and then you see a load of balaclavered weird looking people and imme- I, i'd forgotten this story but immediately as soon as one of them started speaking i was like bats yeah yeah 100 percent. Um, yeah and that is all part of i was thinking at the time why not why aren't they just regular cobra troopers what's the advantage of having bats mm. in silly masks why not just have why are they in disguise the bats i still don't really understand that I mean, there was a lot, wasn't there? I mean, Cobra were protecting... Oh, let's... What's like the word? The corrupt. It's the corrupt the corrupt kind of officials, is it? The corrupt politicians. Yeah, but they were trying to protect the... Like, Cobra were trying to protect their interest in this particular situation. And right. to do so, they, they couldn't, you know, make it clear that they were involved. And obviously, they were found out to be involved. And um, it all turns out, you know, at the end of it, that the Joes were being used... In yeah. a sense, um, again, I, was, I was thinking, how how were they ever going to disguise that? Because obviously, maybe it's the Techno Viper, the Toxo Viper, and possibly Scrap Iron end up putting lab coats on, yeah, to pretend to be the hostages. A, what happened to the actual hostages? And B, how were they going to cover up the the BAT's presence? Mm. To, to not link it to Cobra anyway. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's one of those issues that, you know, you kind of read through it and you, you don't really see the, the problems until you get to the end and you start reading, like, the uh, the kind of explanation as to what Cobra were doing and why G.I. Joe were involved and all this kind of stuff. And you're right, these things kind of crop up and you're thinking, well, it's, it's, it's got a lot of holes in it, really. And I think, yeah. th- to me, the issue feels very rushed. It feels like we need to get these guys involved in a story um how do we you know how's that going to happen just bang bang it out real quick and then here you go uh without real a lot of thought going into the overall story of the particular issue uh yeah. it's a shame really because i i as much as i i am the same as you as much as the issue was a bit disappointing the lineup of characters is solid like you know shockwave hardball stalker sneak peek scarlet scrap iron the bats as you said muskrats cool so it's like hit and run wow i forgot hit and run um you know like it's it's a really good roster of characters and i don't think they they, i don't think they've done um justice with this particular story a couple of bits i did like was uh, something that harkened back to you had mentioned when you covered hardball on your talking toy section yeah um you know he could pinpoint a grenade in a you know ten centimeter square box or whatever, and uh, I think it's him who's blooping some frags right in through the the Bloop. tiny t- tiny little um, window slits. Bloop them, bloop them, hardball. Considering blooped, I like that. And then and then uh, uh, right near the end, Stalker basically just starts punching government officials in the gut. <laughs> Always a fan of that. He does not care, does he? No. Saxon, you. D- yeah, that's totally. it. That's it. 
yeah, he does punch him, doesn't he? I thought he'd need him in the box at first, but no, that is a that's a punch to the gut, and then grabs his yeah. hair and picks him up again. I mean, yeah, yeah, I love it. No messing. And then there's that there's that like you know that cute little uh, end piece to actually explain what happened, where Hardball wakes Muskrat up to tell him what happened, and Muskrat's like, "Did we shoot anyone we shouldn't have done?" And he's like, "No, shut up, we did our job." Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, look, agree. Not, I agree. It's, it's not it's not bad at all. You know, it's not bad comic. It's average. Yeah. Obviously, the standard you know of the special missions, especially, has been high. Yeah. So I think that's probably where it you know falls down. Yo, Joeage, what are you saying? Uh, I'm going to give it a five. Give it a five. What's this? This is issue 17. Chris gives it a five. Um, I'm looking at my lowest special mission score to date, and that was actually issues 14 and 15, the one we just read, In From yeah. the Cold and Into the Fire. Was I that gave nine? that a six. I gave that a, <laughs> yeah. I gave that a six. I think this is worse. Uh, I am also going to give it a five. Yay. Why, why am I celebrating that? That's no, weird. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, it got a five. Right, uh, let's move it on. Uh, we're going to class the next one as a three-issue arc, uh, starting with issue eighty-nine. A thrak. Yep. Let's cover. Let's do all the as it's an arc. We'll just do all three covers first. First one, issue eighty-nine is Mean Dog, and here you've got Wildcard in the Mean Dog gun turret, pointing towards the reader. Hardball in the front, and yeah, I mean it's a perfectly serviceable cover pretty gangster i i'm a, I'm, I'm, gangster. A, I'm again i'm like i really want something to be going on in that red background because the fact yeah. that it's a very similar color to the uh the mean dog body uh on the like lower on the page kind of they kind of i don't know it makes it look like these this is it makes it look unfinished to me it makes yeah. it look like yeah. it's on a on a they're like they're trying to do some sort of green screen and yeah. you know you, they're gonna add that in post afterwards but no uh, it's a cracking cover and uh wild card looks awesome Hardball looks really good, and he actually looks like really detailed in it than the actual characters' drawings. And the mean dog, from what you can see, looks freaking awesome. Yes, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. I mean, like you say, the actual image quality, background, not so much. Yeah. Moving on to ninety recurring themes. Um, got a lot of time for this cover. Yes, absolutely. This is Road Pig, uh, mallet in hand, clutching rock and roll under one arm, and uh, Clutch being dragged by the shirt. This is this feels to me like a very marvelish cover yeah in that you know i could see this kind of thing maybe on a thor i was gonna say thor, thor kind yeah, of doing the time. same yeah the hulk or, or captain something. america or the hulk yeah, yeah definitely it feels like a marvel cover big time i agree good, good stuff and then uh, <laughs> I like, 90... can i just can i just say i love the i love the arrow that says brainwave scanner chamber yeah. it's like there you yeah. go there's all just the information case. you need <laughs> yeah love it love it uh and then 91 no simple solutions uh, this is actually Andy Kubert, uh, yeah. who's a long-time Marvel artist now for DC. And nice cover here. Yeah, totally. Uh, snake Eyes looking bad. <laughs> Scarlet kind of back-to-back with loads of red ninjas. Sun glinting off his sword. Uh, nice cover. It is. And again, like a, a, I suppose the background is dealt with here by red ninjas. And it, it does look really bad. First two issues here. 89-90 is Mark Bright on pencils. Uh, we saw him back on... Issue 36, I think it was, and maybe another fill-in issue, but now he's going to have a bit more of a run. Gorgeous um, art. Gorgeous. Issues. And then issue 91, uh, art is by Tony Sammons. But we'll, we'll get to that, that, obviously, when we get I, to I must have, Can I just say, from the off, I, if you look at like the special missions issue we've just seen, and then you look at this A Real American Hero issue, you'd think they were completely like separate 
universes you'd think that one was a completely it wasn't gi joe at all and then you look yeah. at this one and the amount of detail like they've gone like you know you've got clouds in the sky for one so they're not skimping on that it's not just like black or blue or purple or something and you've got you've just got loads of stuff going on in every single panel and it's all very detailed and the characters look great and there's no there's no action in it where i look at any of the panels and go oh they could have done better with that do you know what i mean everything is yep. absolutely perfect i think in terms of art in this in this per- first issue especially yeah definitely definitely we're going to do it as a uh, like i said you know as a three issue arc but 89 and 90 kind of carry over a lot of storylines and some of that obviously bleeds into 91 so the basic kind of premise here is initially you've got a look at Brocker Beach and how Zorana is trying to turn it around and Clutch and Rock and Roll kind of stumble on there and then you get a a nice sort of protracted fight scene and then there's another little storyline with the ninja stuff so just covering that first kind of storyline my first question is actually a question. The first thing I want to say is, was Clutch always kind of portrayed as this kind of beach bum? Because he kind of gets over-exaggerated, or over-egged the pudding, if you will, of this uh, beach bum persona. Well, rock and roll... I think it's, it does stray into uh, Clutch as well, though, I think, does it? Or not, am I... Well, I always thought of Clutch as a... Uh, he's like a gearhead. So, like, you know, mechanic, kind of grease yeah. monkey, womanizer. That's where I see his character. And then... Rock and roll is the laid back, chilled kind of beach bum guitarist kind of guy, you know. I, I don't yeah. know what, what are you talking about specifically in the comic where he talks about um, being a beach bum or something. I think just some of the some of the things, you know. He says, you, you, you know, he says, oh, this used to be a funky beach town, and um, you know, he's talking about going to the amphitheater where Daisy the diving horse used to perform. Well, yeah, I think that's just more about him. You know, that's about him being from this area and surprised that it's not, it's been changed, it's got a different name and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure necessarily if he is really portrayed as a beach bum. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, honestly, I I don't know. I I didn't really get that from the issue either, necessarily. But, you know, agree to disagree in that sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they've kind of stumbled, they've gone back there for, for a little bit of vacation. I think it's probably going way back to the issues where they tried to have a, a surfing vacation previously and got mm. kind of locked up with the dreadnoughts and and now it's kind of happening again and i mean he's friends with rock and roll they are very close aren't they in this kind of stuff so you could you know yeah. you could say that yeah. maybe yeah. that is an element of his personality yeah this time they've kind of stumbled actually i've just seen a really cool bit here um on page three where zarana is kind of greeting a couple of cobra kids who've got cobra t-shirts on and then mentioned it's much easier to skate here uh, on the boardwalk than it is on Cobra Island, um, which is quite cool. And there's a picture on the wall of supposedly uh, Sylvester Stallone with Cobra underneath. Brilliant. So obviously, around this time, I imagine the film Cobra came out. Stallone is a cop called Cobra, the strong arm of the law. I hadn't spotted that before. No, I hadn't either. You just, when you mentioned that, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, quality. And uh, they've done up Brocker Beach, so, you know, they've got little shooting galleries, and they've even taken time to repaint <laughs> a shed load of vehicles and put them into fairground rides. That has to be a custom somewhere. Someone needs to customise a fairground diorama with loads of yeah. Cobra vehicles painted like that. I did notice as well the ferret 
gets a paint job much like the Tiger Force ferret, which I thought was interesting, like that yellow yes. and red and stuff like that. So yeah. it's interesting that that was actually a, a color scheme adopted by the Tiger Force repaint of that vehicle, like further down the line. I think that's quite yeah. quite funny. I think it's a nice touch. I think I don't know if it makes it feel a little bit not low key, but or low rent. But you know, I kind of like to imagine Cobra as this massive organization with you know not endless funds, but you know almost yeah you know an endless supply of uh, troops and vehicles and it just felt a little bit odd that they're taking a massive amount of time to repaint like eight vehicles yeah and they probably could have just stored them in a warehouse five minutes away and then they immediately just get on them when the, the joes kind of discover that they're in a cobra town because fortunately for the gi joe team the cobra cops wear rings with cobra insignias on them <laughs> so they're easy to spot and they have yeah. names like uh Pythias, I think, and Damon. Yeah, very, um, uh, very biblical is, names, aren't they? A uh, bit, bit of a giveaway that this is Cobra Town. So they, anyway, they escape um, Zorana and the Dreadnoughts, and actually chase, but they actually mount a full attack. I'm seeing here. There's a truck which is unloading his tanks. There's mm. fangs flying out. There's pogos. There's that uh, Dreadnought cycle thing. Ferrets. You know, for one car, <laughs> they want to shut them down. I guess they want to stop them from radioing out to the rest of the gi joe team that is the cobra town but i wonder how would they stop just joe public civilians coming to brocker beach yeah i I mean clearly they haven't uh i think the police um that they've got in place is supposed to you know pull everyone over that might be a bit weird but again if you don't know it's there and they're not making a big deal about it being there then it doesn't matter you can have people going through it um the problem is if you're wearing a cobra ring as a as a cobra (laughs) police officer that's a bit of a giveaway yes yes you get a couple of your favorite boys here as well repeater and hardball in the back of the mean dog along with one of my faves Wildcard. they just happen to be in the area do they i know they unload off of a transporter which is on the motorway or the freeway no they get they they uh have to radio it in don't they so i suppose that maybe they're the closest to that area yeah possibly there's a good bit where he reverses off the transport and he goes honk <laughs> <laughs> but this art here is uh you know bright does a great job oh, yeah. and all these action scenes are fantastic in fact you know pretty much all the art is fantastic yeah the mean dog looks fantastic in this artwork and and it's just it's just really cool and again it's very similar to the introduction of the rolling thunder you know how yeah it's like oh we go, we're going to introduce a vehicle and it's going to just do amazing things the entire yeah. issue because <laughs> we had we had seen the mean dog previously yeah but it hadn't really been installed into the action as much as it is here also uh while i remember Go check out the Facebook group, uh, G.I. Joe, uh, or whatever it's called, uh, Talking Joe, a G.I. Joe podcast, uh, because uh, one of the members, Mark Seddon, posted a really good article about um, M.D. Bright and his art and uh, how he got on with Larry and he knew him from a band and how Larry came to him and asked him to change some stuff with his art, you know, and it's, it's a really good piece worth reading, so go and check that out. But yeah, this this is great action, lovely shot of Zanzibar in, her, in his pogo. I didn't realise he had two grenades literally on his collar. Yeah. So just in case he needs them at uh, uh, tight spots. But the Mean Dog literally is just pummeling everything. And another thing that I uh, Mean Dog says, don't worry, um, what, their, their armament can't affect us. This, is, this can stand up to much more. But a lot of vehicles, not only in G.I. Joe, but I think in general around this kind of period for toys, didn't kind of put the drivers or passengers under any kind of cover so yeah, yeah. they're all exposed there's not like real you know i can't think of many military vehicles where drivers and personnel are literally exposed on the outside of the vehicle and i guess that's just from a marketing slash design point of view where you want to show off you don't want to hide 
all the figures inside the vehicle. You want them kind of on display. Yeah. So, I, think the, I think the Warthog did the best job of that, where it has three kind of spots at the front, Sergeant Slaughter's kind of second vehicle. Um, yeah. And it's got these three little kind of driver sections at the front, but they can they can sit, stick out the top or they can sit inside and you can close the hatches. And it's right. like that. I think that makes them the be- the most sense in these situations. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ongoing jokes in the GI Joe community that you know GI Joe vehicles have no coverage whatsoever. Oh right, okay. I didn't realize that was actually a thing. The havoc. I mean, cross country sitting on top of a like a chair right. on top of the havoc <laughs> out in in in. You know, it's like the, all of these vehicles have like zero protection. Yeah, I mean, these guys take a full assault, like on page twenty five, and. uh you know, completely unharmed. I mean, I don't mind that at all. And then uh, the uh, wild card even gets in on the act when uh, Zanzibar's pogo's limping away and the sound effects are gung, wonk, schlug, clunk, gr- grunch. <laughs> as, as he limps away and then Wildcard literally just runs him over with a k-k-k-crunch. With a I love the sound effects. No, crunk even, yeah. But unfortunately for Rock and Roll and Clutch, you think they've got away, boom, no, with a wonk. Uh, their vehicle is stopped because Roepig has literally hammered in their engine block. Massive wonkers, the lot of them. Massive wonkers, yeah, title of the episode. <laughs> Done. And then, yeah, that kind of leads into the next next issue where we see what happens to Rock and Roll and Clutch. And they've actually been, this is quite a cool piece, they're in, an, in a prison, a Cobra prison, which is underground, a bol- underneath a bowling alley, which Baroness and uh, Zorana access by going to the end of a lane where all the pins get taken away. Was it sound protection she mentions? She mentions good sound protection. And when they get down there, she's like, um, who's she got prisoner? She's got some sort of tax accountant or something prisoner. Because um, salesmen from rival pyramid scams, so, yeah, IRS, IRS investigators, <laughs> yeah. When I get out of here, I'm going to audit you to death. Quality. Then they take the they, they take the Joes out and they take them to underneath the cinema. And the the three films that are showing today at the Cineplex are Groundhog Day. <laughs> Freezing their butts off, waiting to worship a rat. And I don't know if that's a reference to Rock and Roll and Clutch having previously tangled with the Dreadnoughts, maybe? Yeah. Not sure. Uh, then the other films are Ronco Vegematic Massacre. I used to have one of the original Vegematics, and I loved it. But now Ronco has introduced a new one. Thank you, Ronco. The Vegematic is better than before. And <laughs> Night of the Living Yuppies. It has been quite a time for the yuppie, the young, upwardly mobile professional. What with someone putting out a yuppie handbook and with Newsweek making the yuppie a cover story. Well, we are thrilled to report yet another milestone, the official social debut of the yuppie. Amazing. Well, Again, cracking titles. For... Yeah. There's another good uh, bit of signage at the beginning of the issue. Uh, Zorana and the rest of the Dreadnoughts have gone to the... This is on the steps of the former Lodge Hall in Brocker Beach on the Jersey Shore. Uh, they've gone to seek an audience with Destra and the rest of Higher Command. And on the, above the entrance, there's a cobra and the signage which says the cryptic order of benevolent reptilian apostates. <laughs> and that, that is where they are, which obviously stands for cobra. And... Yeah, yeah. You get, you get, you get. This is kind of a bit of a shakeout issue because, you, like I say, you've got all the Cobra Higher Command here, and Destro's kind of acting like, you know, the school teacher slash the, you know, the authority figure, and all, all these, all the others are kind of like, you know, little kids, and he's almost putting them in their place. He's he's drawn up a new, yeah, 
a a new regime, if you will, of positions for all the all the main characters, and he's making people work with people they don't want to work with. So Mindbender's got to work with Darklon, and Zorana's got to work with Baroness, and uh, Cobra Commander's working with Voltar. So he's kind of setting up. You know, obviously he's got his own interests at heart, but he's kind of setting up other little tandems, and they all kind of just. They they make a fuss, but I guess they go along with it. Yeah, and it's basically the whole thing of them needing organisation and him just being the the one that's going to grab everyone by the the collar and uh, shake yeah. him. Uh, and it's funny from Destro because he's known for his big collars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to catch up with what happens to Rock and Roll and Clutch here, then they actually, like you mentioned on that cover, they're going to the brainwave scanner, and it looks exactly the same as when Snake Eyes was strapped into it back in i think it's issue 23 nice little town called springfield maybe and this is this is interesting because they want to plant information inside their heads and send them back to the pits to kind of wreck havoc yeah yeah and this carries on into uh, issue 91 and i'm not sure how i'm not sure how the brainwave scanner works because you know you kind of see the dreadnoughts trashing stuff in clutch's memories there's some great scenes where they're they're trashing his car torch kicks his girlfriend in the gut maybe that's what you were thinking about when you were thinking about stalker yeah Um, they assault the guy who gave him his first job he gets an absolute whooping um serrano's crushing up his toys so where are they doing that though because these the, the the cobra people aren't strapped into the brainwave scanner so how are they? I think it's it all being. How does I it work? Think, I think from what I can gather from there, they're just programming that information in, and that's that's what's happening. They're just a- accessing his memories and they're programming information, and they're not like all linked into it, kind of you know wreaking okay. havoc in there. So they've got they've got some IT specialists who've who've grafted up this sort of program of of them destroying stuff and then they've they've fed that into the brainwave scanner. I'm guessing so, um, but you're right, yeah, because all of a sudden they're not. They're all kind of out there talking about it and watching it yeah. happen. So, yeah. Um, just just to kind of clarify, the Mean Dog's first appearance was in GI Joe issue seventy two. Seventy two, and we're now on eighty nine. Yeah. So, so this yeah. is the second, or probably multiple appearances since then. Yeah. There you go. There you go. But like, yeah, I don't think it. You know, it didn't feature as a predominant vehicle. It was just you know backing people up or whatever. Seems weird that they've waited this long to kind of give it some real shine, but yeah, it's interesting they call the issue Mean Dog as well. Like, you know, that's yeah. the 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 focus. Maybe they were trying to sell it. Maybe it was yeah. like we're we're a bit low on sales. Can you do an issue about the yeah. Mean Dog? Possibly. Yeah, it's good. Possibly, yeah. It's good. It you know, it does a good job. Uh, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Um <laughs> crunk, In terms crunk. of those, in terms of those guys, in terms of uh, Rock and Roll Clutch um, we don't really see much more of them um, in this arc. Obviously, what's going to happen to them, we'll, we'll get to at a later date. Before we go on to the ninja stuff, just wrapping up here, what happens, there's a, some cool bits with Zanzibar. Zanzibar! He's now been taken captive, but the good old Cobra lawyers are on the case. Oh God, and these lawyers are amazing, aren't they? i tell you what, also, this is kind of a thing, especially from Marvel Comics, a lot of people have blue hair. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is just a, a colouring choice to you know maybe it stands out better than just you can get more definition i guess than just having black hair but that's why they do i, it, I yeah. never really questioned it as a kid and i still don't really have a problem with it now but i should do shouldn't I? you should you should have a problem that everyone's got blue hair <laughs> not everyone but there's no black there's no just complete jet black hair it's like you say it's because you can't do any detail or, or show any any it's it, it looks odd when you just do a flat black hairstyle yeah. Like the um, 
that yeah that's just like one of those old school comic techniques that have always been in play to me it just looks like shiny black hair which is quite weird it kind of plays a trick on your brain doesn't it it does it plays a trick because clutch has got it baroness the lawyer but i never really you know as a kid or even now it doesn't really like you said feel out of place it's you know my brain's being tricked to think oh that's normal yeah everyone's got blue hair instead of black hair Uh, but yeah the lawyer there's a cool bit where uh, he pops in, doesn't he? And he said, um, "You're in a lot of trouble. You're looking at ten to twenty years minimum." And uh, one of the is it uh, Duke there? He says, "Aren't you being a tad pessimistic about your client's chances?" I wasn't talking about my client. I was talking about you. <laughs> and he's going to basically sue GI Joe. And forget list, about the fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget about the fact that Zanzibar was in a weapon of mass destruction. You know, we don't worry about that. Crazy. And yeah, that list of things that he throws at them, and like uh, the lawyers are insane in Cobra. It's like it's such an easy get out thing yeah for a story yeah. isn't it it's like oh you need those guys out of prison no worries <laughs> lawyers on the case <laughs> and then that's kind of wraps up all that sort of stuff and then now we need to ch- chat about the zartan and the slash ninja stuff now yeah this kind of starts with there's a guy in san francisco being shown around by you know an estate agent and a, well what are they called in the usa a realtor R- real Some estate agent like that. or a realtor real yeah st- yeah um and uh, and you know it's it turns out to be storm shadow's old place and there's bullet holes you know references to that that quality issue 85 sfx uh where the battle took place and this guy's showing him around and you know he's given a nice story about you know what happened here and there's people dead in the street and uh but firefights and, and swords and then he turns the tv on and there's news of some russian sailor who is like a he's like defected or something and he's he's been washed up on the shores and it actually turns out obviously to be this guy in the building who then turns out to be zartan so question one is why was zartan there so zartan was looking at the he was basically checking scoping the place out because he was looking well that's a good question next next we see him because he's he's looking to somebody isn't he's he's gone to the he's gone to the presidio the the military base there jinx he's looking for jinx he's looking for jinx so do you think that's why he was there yeah he's gone he's why has he gone to see a real estate agent to get access to the property why not just get into the property god knows i mean is it just to shoehorn in that little bit of story arc story arc i think so yeah okay i guess we don't know where he's been do we last we saw him he went into the drink and in that volkswagen uh, camper van and we never saw him since so is it kind of just explaining yeah he's washed up basically he's got on that boat and then he's killed that guy and he's taken his um he's taken his you know identity and then he's escaped yeah um and then he is in this situation where he's looking for jinx I'm guessing he's just trying to. He's on the he's on the offensive, trying to get rid of these people, isn't he? He's trying to kill them yeah. so that they don't kill him. Uh, and then obviously he bumps into on his travels of tra- changing into lots of people and trying to get access to find Jinx and whoever he can find. He yeah. bumps into the blind master, right? And yes. then they have that kind of you know set to where the blind master's like, "I know it's you. You don't. You, you can change into whoever you want. It doesn't bother. You know, it doesn't affect me." I'm. I, I can smell you. I can. I, I can smell you from a mile off, kind of thing. And then those yeah. two have this off-panel fight while uh, an, an, another kind of story continues. Well, uh, just just quickly jumping back to issue ninety, there. This just kind of struck me in that um, article I said to read about Mark Bright, where uh, Larry actually or he mentions that he he was far too stuck into to trying to draw vehicles and characters exactly like the toys, and I kind of get that feeling where. Zartan's gone in disguised as General Hollingsworth to the Presido, and you can see Bazooka 
and Rock and Roll and Footloose, you know, have kind of been alerted, and they're they're drawn very, very much like as accurate to the figures as 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 can be, I think, rather than kind of you know yeah. loosely just yeah. doing doing yeah. them. They, they, it feels like he's got those file cards right in front of him, and he's he's going all out for it. Yeah, and that's maybe you know I think that's point, what yeah. wore him. I think that's what wore him down a little bit. He was just just you know just way too much referencing etc and i think maybe later on larry said to him look don't worry about it just you know as long yeah. as you're putting a likeness in they don't have to be panel for panel the same as, as the figures but yeah yeah so then then like you say we get uh, uh the ninjas who you got you got jinx storm shadow snake eyes and scarlet correct are up in the cabin just having a you know peaceful little campfire timber goes out He's, you know he thinks there's something out there comes back with a bit of red cloth in his mouth and an arrow in him. Storm Shadow's then in full garb, and uh, it's uh, a red ninja wants a, a one-on-one with him. Yep. And there's something quite interesting as we go from one issue to the next in here, because I, I take it we're going, we're also talking about um, the next issue, aren't we? That yeah, 91. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, what kind of I noticed was that, first off, Timber turns up with a, an arrow in his back, or what looks like, you know, his back. And then in the the, ne- the next time we see him in the following issue, which is drawn by a different uh, artist, yep, Tony Salmons. Salmons, and uh, I I have to say I'm go on. I I absolutely despise the art in this issue. Okay, like I I just cannot find any redeeming feature for pretty much every single panel. I'm just I just I find it really really poor. Um, the proportions are so weird. The choice of action poses are really odd. Like he, he seems to use really awkward action poses. When yes, that might be the way someone stands when you strike them with the sword or whatever, or when the swords clash. Yeah, there might be a position like that in reality. But on a comic, you kind of have to cheat a little bit. You have to make them look like almost really epic in every single panel, and. One thing I really didn't like was how quickly and how comically. You, I mean, you're talking about, uh, and I mean comically in in a in a funny sense, not in a uh, in comic way. Yep. But yep. like, um, there's this one scene, like, this very serious battle between Storm Shadow and this Red Ninja, who is after Storm Shadow because he blames Storm Shadow for the death of the Hard Master. They're yep. all Arashikagi ninjas, that the Red Ninjas, which is like a, a big reveal. It's like a new reveal. Yeah, because and, the last the last time we'd seen them, they were with Zartan, weren't they, in his shack when yeah. Fred Seven went to kill him? Yes, yep. And so, because of that kind of very serious tone, that you know he's blaming Storm Shadow, not because he he knows fully well Zartan did it, he killed the Hard Master, yeah. but he blames Storm Shadow for bringing Snake Eyes, the Outsider, into the clan Correct. in the first place, and that caused all the issues. So, because of that, I'm like there being it's all very serious, and it's all oh my god, this is like you know and a really important battle and then they have this like fight near a waterfall and he falls through the waterfall and there's this very kind of like goonies panel where he comes across this dead fred where um there's this bit of writing on the wall in the background which again is done very poorly because it's like a flat brown background with then this lettering that you know you'd kind of think make it look like rock wall or something i don't know anything and it says, yep. here lies Fred, no matter what, 
he he did in life no matter what he did in life he died well again yeah. it's not even written very well enough for me to actually read it properly yeah. and so like storm shadow kind of sees the guy and he's got like this gun he's holding this gun as well like an ak i think it is and he falls onto it and grabs it and it's all very like uh-huh, kind of you know very quick and then all of a sudden he turns around and the red ninja cuts the gun in half and then they fall out of the waterfall and i'm thinking what was a what was the f- point of that like what is the point of that yep. and b it, even if that has to be included in the comic yep. why on earth don't they make why doesn't the artist make that flow better you know maybe okay. have storm shadow apo- like like fall upon this guy and from a different angle have his reaction in another panel and then go to the the ninja cutting the sword yeah. in half or try you know uh, trying to cut him in half and he blocks it with the with the gun it just seems really i don't know it just seems really unnatural and doesn't work for me in any way shape or form and then the fight between the blind master and zartan is just hideous i quite like it <laughs> i quite like that waterfall scene where he jumps in and he he cuts it he cuts through the water and then he finds fred which is the dead crimson guardsman from when they assaulted Snake Eyes in the cabin back in issue 31, I think, 32. I agree that the art is difficult at times, proportionally-wise, and, you know, background and stuff, but I I don't know. I don't know what it is, and I know I'm in the minority, but I quite like it. I get the homage. I just don't understand, like... I just don't like the art. I don't think it... it I don't think it paints any of the characters in, like, really good... You know, I think... All right, okay, same panels, better art, and I would have a different opinion, yep. 100%. 100%. Yep. I just... Proportionally, I think it's horrible. I think there's... That scene where he cracks the gun in half, I mean, even then there are things on it that I don't like. I don't like the fact that the Red Ninja's face is covered... I don't like that the you know like and you can just see his eyes but very disproportionately at the top of his head kind of yeah. poking through. Um his position of his arms look really all over the place. The the fold lines look random and they don't look natural either. Uh, I just I don't know it just really bugs me. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I'll stop moaning now. Apologies to everyone that does like this art including yourself. No no, I, I think I don't think there's probably many. Um, so that's that's fine. Do, do you think Larry was building up this this particular Red Ninja to to be another character, or was it just? I don't I don't mind the inclusion of this kind of storyline of the Red Ninjas being a Rashikage and you know him wanting revenge. Nothing it, wrong it does with the feel, story. It does feel a bit quick that it all just suddenly happens. It was like, oh, what's this? They're Rashikage. Oh, they've got a kind of a Red Leader. Oh, n- you know, now he's dead, etc. It does mm. feel a bit quick, but. I don't. I don't mind it. I think you know. I'm okay with all that. I don't mind the story. A hundred percent don't mind the story. Like it's. I just think the art really lets it down. I mean, and when did Timber turn into a bear? Yeah, that's like a bit what weird. is that? I mean, I know it's the perspective that he's closer to the camera as well. But for one, the fact that he's bigger than the three than everyone else on the page, like, and then he's drawn in such a way that makes him look like a bear. It's yeah. so so weird. I just. I don't know. It's just not my cup of tea. I, I like. No. Um, I don't know. I just. I'm. Yeah. I'm really not a fan. And like I said, I think if the art was better, I'd love that that fight scene with uh, Storm Shadow and the Red Ninja. The fight scene between the Blind Master and Zartan. Again, I don't. I don't mind the art here at all. But I'm. Some of the motivations I'm not sure of. So basically, Zartan. There's a bit where he's like, "Do it, kill me," you know. 
because of the shame of uh, Professor Onohashi, he killed himself, do it, what are you waiting for? When he's saying to, Z- to the blind master, do it, kill me, he's, he doesn't really want that. He's calling his bluff, I assume. He's basically trying to lull him into a false sense of security. No, I don't know. Because I think then, I, literally I, I... a page later, he kills the blind master. You have no idea the pain I've lived with since Professor Onohashi killed himself. Do it, because blind master's got a knife. What are you waiting for? And blind master doesn't do it because he's stopped by Tyrone. Now, if you go back, it was very brief. There was some street hood called Tyrone, you know, some sort of 15-year-old skateboarding purse snatcher and who the blind master took under his wing. And now he's found... Uh, he's been looking for him he's his sensei he's found the blind master in this alley and you know he's saying stop don't do it you know you've taught me that you know violence isn't the answer so you know leave it walk away so tyrone leaves blind master you know drops the knife and goes to walk away and then suddenly zartan just stabs the blind master and kills him so i'm not sure when zartan was saying to the blind master please kill me kill me kill me I wonder if it was just kind of a bluff to the blind master to let his guard down so that Zartan could kill him. But you think perhaps he did want to die. Yeah, well, in the fight, you're right. It's out of character that he kills him because afterwards he's like, oh, what have I done? What am I? I'm so sorry. You know, and he's, he's remorseful about it. Yeah, it just feels like he's gone from wanting to kill the blind master, then wanting to die, then killing the blind master then regretting wanting, the decision yeah, yeah. literally in the space of like three pages which is I mean, probably about two minutes could you could you attribute that to and it's never really it's never really um highlighted with zartan but he has got a lot of mental health issues and obviously in his original file card which had to be changed i think uh a little way through the run because of the mental health organization having an issue really? with what was put in yeah it, it said he was a paranoid schizophrenic in the original card and then the men- I think it was the mental health organization or someone of that you know in the US had a, has a had an issue with it and forced the change of the file card like the running change so you do get some you get basically a Zartan and his chameleon swamp skier figure boxed you get one with that card and one with another oh, I didn't know that yeah and so I don't know if that's being utilized or not really again it's because it, it's not highlighted in the comic as often or at all because he's always very like zartan is always very on the level isn't he he's always like he knows what has to be done he's always focused he always gets usually gets things done and he has like you know the dreadnoughts are all below him so it kind of yep. elevates his personality even higher because they're so dumb and just rubbish so I think, uh, and I, I love the Dreadnoughts, don't get me wrong, if anyone thinks I think they're, I, I mean as in in terms of personalities. So in this case, I don't know, this just kind of shows him fighting with himself as well, like flip-flopping between, you know, oh, just, just kill me, and then getting the opportunity to, cause I, I think he's protecting himself, because he says, doesn't he, you were going to kill me. Yeah. And and that's when the Blind Master says, no, I, you know, I wouldn't have done so, and and all this kind of stuff, and then he confides in Zartan and tells him that the um, he'd forgiven you, Professor Onahashi. Onahashi had forgiven him, so uh, he, that's that, what makes him remorseful. Yeah, and then you get the big kind of reveal at the end. Or the twist is Tyrone's slumping off, and then wait a minute, the blind master comes out of the alley. But wait a minute, he's been killed by Zartan. Okay, so now Zartan is pretending to be uh, assuming the guise of the blind master. Yeah, and, it's kind of you know, a he mend. says, yeah. a clean slate, that's right, a new beginning, like being reborn. So now you're kind of led to believe that, okay, Zartan is being written out, possibly, you know, as a good guy. But I think we all know that, you know, he's going to... Ret- Actually, yeah, I can't even... Again, it's been a long time since I've read these, but I'm trying to... St- I'm struggling to think about when his next appearance is, but 
we'll come to it, I guess, at some point. Yeah, we'll be able to find out live. <laughs> find out live. Um, just before we yo-jo this one, uh, I want to read out a letter that is in the back of this issue. And this scumbag, Shane Cool Nicholson, he's, he was a kid at the time. I guess he's probably still a scumbag now as an adult. But I'm going to read out his letter. It says, Dear G.I. Joe magazine, I'm writing concerning your magazine. It has been pretty lousy lately, starting with issue 61. You shouldn't have killed Cobra Commander. I'm not that upset, but a lot of other people are, and with them mad, you're losing a lot of readers. Then, the issues after that haven't been exciting at all. Issue 82, Weeding Out, was completely unrealistic. Duke is supposed to be a nice guy. Not here. Here he is a tough, macho, put-on kind of guy, and rude too. On page 6, wow, nobody makes you commence chewing. Back on page 3, at the top... Who the heck are those other Joes? There are no such people as Funky, Blister, Jody and No Show. After Budo, Repeater and Lightfoot ate, each of their faces were all scraggly because they haven't shaved. And when they woke up, they were shaved. Your magazines are really cheap, and so are the people who write them. Wow. Uh, sorry, and so are, the peop- so are the people who write back to the kids who write to the postbox to the pit. They're always putting people down. My father, who is a lawyer, is very displeased. He has thought about a lawsuit, but he doesn't want to waste his time. Shane Cool Nicholson... Address withheld. Wow. What did what did Larry respond with? So Larry responded because he responded Both to pretty himself. much all the letters. Yeah, everybody is entitled to his or her opinion, but this one about putting kids down in postbox to the pit really baffles me. Having gone back and read all the letters pages, I couldn't find a single answer that was less than cordial. Of course, if someone writes me a nasty letter full of vile insults, slander, and unsubstantiated accusations, I might be tempted to be a bit pithy in my reply but I certainly don't tell anyone that his mother dresses him funny, Larry. Brilliant. <laughs> Amazing. Unsubstantiated fantasy. Yeah, that's yeah. um, that's a d- right there. Like an so if you're listening, if you're listening to the show, uh, you're no longer welcome. No, that's all right. Yeah, you know, if you repent your sins, you're more than welcome. No, um, I don't no, think. No, still just, not just off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yo, Joe, it for me. Um. Hard this to is say, tricky. Really. This is tricky for you because I know you yeah. like 89 and 90. It's the art that, that makes or breaks a lot of issues for me. Uh, but but I do like the plot and the story with with what Larry was doing in, in all three. So the art does not do enough damage to bring the whole thing down because obviously, yep. you know, two, two against one. So I'm going to go overall... I'm I'm going to give it a healthy and generous seven at the top end. Okay, I I too I'm giving it a seven. Yes, um, pretty much for what what all you said there. Um, I prefer. I actually don't say it. Confer, don't say you com- don't say you prefer his art because I will no, no, stop no, being your friend. No, no, no. I don't prefer the art. I prefer <laughs> Mark Bright's art pretty much every single time to a Tony it's, Salmon's art yeah. um, issue. But I think i prefer the storyline stuff in that that was more in issue 91 than i do in the, the 89 issue. and 90 um but as oh, a okay, package yeah, sure. yeah as a package not my package as this package um yeah it's a solid solid seven for me so there you go i don't want to i don't upset anybody who are who is fans and i certainly don't upset um the artist i think the i think because obviously we said this last time in an issue that he did, I think it was that Destro, uh, the kind of Castle Destro issue, not too long ago. That yes, um, yeah. you know, th- some some panels are absolutely gorgeous, and then 
all of a sudden there'll be this weird proportioned character and i just i'm just not a fan of that and unfortunately it does take me out of the comic yeah but anyway. i think that's i think that's the last tony salmon's art on issues so um you're safe <laughs> but having said that and talked about comics uh we talked about toys a little bit but for our toy specialist we need to go to chris talks toys chris talks toys dun, dun, dun. yes okay and this one i've decided to go for another vehicle and drive a combo i think you'll guess what it is because it's so freaking awesome and that is the mean dog who which is piloted or driven piloted <laughs> driven by wildcard now in the United States of America, it came out. I'm just stalling so I can see when it came out. It came out in 1988, obviously a lot earlier than we got it. We got it in 1990 in the United Kingdom. Obviously, it came on the GI Joe big box, and it came with that window window box to show Wildcard. Uh, the UK version, uh, there are no differences in the bio at all. Like it's all pretty much exactly the same. And obviously, I will read through his Wildcard's file card. Wildcard's file card, amazing. But before I do that, I just want to talk through the art because the box art is absolutely superb. Now, on it's exactly the same on both um, the UK and US releases. You've got this beautiful vehicle. I think it's just so, so brilliant. The G.I. Joe Mean Dog. Mean Dog's got a bad bite. Looking for cover and action to fight. But nobody beats G.I. Joe. A real American hero. Next week comes with pilot. Mean Dog with driver. It's a three-part kind of separate kind of pieces that all come together to create this massive like split down the middle tank it's so weird but then so gi joe doesn't seem to relate necessarily to much real world military vehicles uh there's a lot of influences from lots of different things like in this one i think per like from my personal point of view it separates into three parts but before i get to that as well sorry i'm getting ahead of myself the artwork is glorious it features wildcard at the front in the front i think it's called a scout car the armored armored recon scout car the back portion is being manned by hardball in the kind of huge turret gun and hit and run in the back section as well so it's a really awesome piece of art all the guns firing a couple of missiles have been fired as well from those amazing missile launchers now let me get into the actual vehicle before i get into into wildcard the vehicle is just... I just can't get enough of this thing. It's gorgeous. It The front section um, has two front wheels. It has a little gun turret section for wildcard or whoever you want to sit in there um, and be exposed and fire at people. But also it has two back wheels which are hidden initially and, and kind of slot into a, a space on the the back portion of the vehicle and kind of sit between two of the front wheels on that other vehicle. So you've got like almost in the middle section of the vehicle, you have like four wheels running across the middle of this vehicle. Um, so you can obviously pull that Scout Recon car out and that becomes its separate piece. And it's very easy to do so, but it also locks in nicely as well because the wheels butt up against a, a section of the middle piece. I would say the middle piece, it's the back section, but it's also technically the middle piece because it separate, separates into two pieces. The back car has these two amazing missile launchers, like multiple missile launcher blocks on each side. They can slide out and kind of get a bit wider. And that also you can take out the turret, the gun turret at the back, and that becomes like a standalone kind of flak cannon type gun turret thing. It's really, really cool. 
So you've got, you know, multiple spots for for figures. I mean, it's one of those ones where you can't fit, you can't like load it out with tons of characters. They can sit on the side here and there, but for the most part, you've got like three main spots that they can occupy. For such a big vehicle, that's probably the only downside, I think, for it. Considering the Desert Fox, which is much smaller, can fit one, two, three, four standard issue kind of figures, like, you know, without cramming more in. Uh, it seems quite interesting that a bigger vehicle can't have more people in it. But obviously the way it kind of connects as, as, and and splits in, in different pieces, there's probably a big explanation why. Anyway, the vehicle's amazing. I love it. And I've only, I didn't have it as a kid. Um, I was aware of it and really, really wanted it, but didn't pick this up until I was probably in my 20s as a collector. So this is one that kind of passed me by for a long, long period of time. Now, on the UK box, again, like I said, it's exactly the same artwork. The only difference is being that I find it funny that on the US boxes, they always had to put something like Weapons Do Not Shoot on the box, on the box front, almost because it's a... Like, USA, Matt, it's a very litigious country, and if if you were to buy something and the parents may th- like look at the art and say well it's got the guns are firing and missiles are being fired off the side of it so that should happen with the toy and i'm kind of right. you kind of think well no <laughs> the toy has to imitate the box art completely almost exactly and that's why they have to put these these things on the boxes now on the uk version the gi joe the action force version which we got in 1990 you, they, we don't have that on there, which I find quite interesting. It's almost like, you know, we can't be bothered to take people to court. We don't have the money for it for a start. And also, Wildcard inst- is in like a fake window box on that box as well. So you get, uh, again, like a, um, it's like a picture of Wildcard as if he was fake in, in behind right, a window okay. box, which is quite interesting. Um, but again, I think saves on packaging. I think it's cheaper. Uh, well, it is cheaper. Um, another thing I've noticed as well is the US that would have like like almost tiny small print underneath the vehicle driver to explain who he was. And on, on the US one, it's like includes Mean Dog, Driver, Wildcard with Swivel Arm Battle Grip and then loads and loads of other small print to go with it. Right. On our one, it just says Wildcard in massive letters. <laughs> it's like, this is, you know what it is, you know his name, let's, let's move on. So it's, it's almost like we don't like to you know faff about we just like to get everything on there and done um so they're obviously their differences now i'll read through wildcard's file card because i just like saying that i think it's cute file name eric u scott or scorit scott scorick or scott eric u the gi joe mean dog driver serial number 10265094 primary military specialty armored vehicle operator secondary military specialty chaplain's assistant and obviously that's quite important in the gi joe i suppose mythos isn't it and his birthplace is northampton but not our northampton chief as in northampton massachusetts grady for wildcard possesses an unnatural talent for breaking things sturdy steel machines simple tools delicate toys immovable objects of cast iron eight-piece dinner settings nothing is immune to his uncanny destructive powers Fortunately, that which is judged to be an abominable affliction in civilian circles can be a valuable skill in military ones. 
And the qu- quote is, when Wildcard is driving the mean dog, the vehicle becomes an extension of himself, a raging engine of destruction, pulverizing all in its path. If the enemy, by sheer luck, manages to knock out the mean dog, they then put themselves in the position of having to deal with Wildcard directly. You could go so far as to call that a violation of the Geneva Convention. And that is based on the Wildcard. I'll, I'll just quickly talk through him. At the time, he was a completely original figure with a new head sculpt, etc., etc., um, it's an interesting design um, with basically a green vest, kind of short, like ripped sleeves, um, nothing else on top. So he's basically one of the, you know, the, the, like, like steamroller and gung-ho, kind of putting it all out there for everyone to see. He's got a, an oversized green helmet, which I always thought looked really dorky on him. And obviously the way he's depicted in the comics, that is a much sleeker design than the one that he got as a toy black little wrist guards a tash obviously and these maroon trousers with gray shoes or boots and a, and a and a molded gun on his left thigh uh, in holster so a very simple basic figure um, i mean he was going to be with a vehicle so they don't always go crazy on the detail with that uh, and he also comes with a pretty impressive sized machete and sheath which actually plugs into his back so he can you know use it like a ninja would with his sword which is quite another odd kind of design choice but so he's got a machete i think the weapon kind of matches his personality but i think i think something like a hammer i know toll booth got a hammer uh, but something like that something that you see road pig with like some kind of like tool or something you know the the wrench or the spanner that cross country got in the modern era i think something along those lines would have been would have probably would have been a lot better for him as a character but anyway that's that's wild card and the mean dog again gi joe the action force uk release in 1990 and gi joe a real american hero release in 1988 cool good stuff big fan of that never had it I'm trying to think if i knew anyone who had it themselves but i don't think so so i think i've only ever experienced it in comic form but um good vehicle like it more uh talking toys next week i always look forward to that um but we got, talks, toys. yeah but we've got a new segment coming in hot this week which i only gave chris a warning of five minutes before the show started as i always do with new segments uh, who needs to know in advance keeps um, me on my toes and it's uh, a segment we're calling British Colloquialisms, a.k.a. Over-Egging the Pudding. <laughs> where each week we will be giving the listeners, primarily the non-UK-based listeners, a saying from in and around where we're from that will mean nothing to anyone else um, and will probably need explaining. So uh, we're going to try and limit this to, rather than just using obscure ones that we know of but don't really get used we're going to try and bring to the party ones that have been used by us or people other people in our in our lives in the last week and uh, the one that i'm going to go with first of all i actually used myself in this episode where i said uh, he was giving it the charlie big spuds i was going to say that was a classic that could have been uh, yeah so giving it the charlie big spuds is basically giving it the big you you know you're the big man so uh, in this reference we, we were talking about eating the 10 burgers and he was saying that that's easy i can do 10 burgers in 20 bites in like five minutes you know he was giving it the charlie big spuds giving it the large one <laughs> that's another one i've done two there <laughs> you just can't um, help but say no, another colloquialism explain one it. explain one to explain one yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, basically he's uh, like big testicles. Yeah, he's the big man on campus kind of syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one the Americans will understand. 
my one i was really surprised when it, it caught an american off off guard the other day and uh i won't divulge the details of who it was they're just a family member but basically <laughs> i said i said at the end of a text message conversation done and dusted right yep which yep. i thought is like you know it's quite self-explanatory it just means you've finished it and you've wiped it off <laughs> There you go. You've finished and you've wiped it off. You know, you've you've, yeah. you've finished. You've, you've got you've uh, everything is sorted and ready and yes. yeah, all good. And it, he apparently he got so confused that he was asking around for ages. He didn't want to respond until he knew what it meant because he was really? embarrassed that yeah that I had said something that and he didn't want to upset me by like going what does that mean? Um, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I thought done and dusted was something that. You know, A is kind of self-explanatory anyway. It's global, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was global, but it's not. And I also, I also add, I like to add, done and dusted, covered in mustard or custard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, any of those will fit. So sometimes I'll say done and dusted, covered in mustard slash custard. Yeah. So yes, yeah. win. Anyway, there we go. I'm on board. Anyway, uh, more uh, from that next week. Uh, That's my new favourite segment. Wait. Is it? Favorite yeah, I've got um, a list of those. <laughs> well, you can only be, you can only use it if it was used by you or someone else within the week. In that week. week, oh, I'm so, on it. I am yeah. on it. I'm using fifty of them in a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got one other bit of business to take care of, and that is Chief Bass Chris a question. Chief Bass Chris a question. What'll he say? What'll he do when Chief Bass Chris a question? Wow. I'm going to piggyback the theme from last week, which I think was where I asked you what uh, your favourite colour lightsaber was. Um, yep. I'm going to stick with Star Wars for this week. What would be your favourite two-man fighter craft? So you can either stick to the movies. Um, you can, the movies, as you said uh, or the you other can day. Go, yeah, or you can go expanded universe if you want to, I guess. But if you want to stick to, you know, I guess, you know, your X-Wings, your A's, your B's, your Y's, or your... TIE fighters, interceptors, whatever, TIE bombers. But if you want to go a bit deeper for some expanded universe stuff, up to you. You want to know what it is? Yeah, of course. I'll, That's the I'll question. You what, That's Chief Ask Chris a question. <laughs> Come on, man. Give it the program. You want me to tell you the answer to this question? Yeah, yes. uh, for me, it's a snow speeder, 100%. Snow speeder, yes. Two, yes. two man, one at the front, one facing the other direction. Uh, for one, again, we're going to be talking toys here, uh, but that is a toy I had and loved that as a kid. Like the. Yeah. The lights and sounds aspect was just freaking yep. amazing. Uh, or lights, I might be making the sounds up. Did it have sounds? I think as it well? made sounds. That button on the, I think the button was on the yes. back right. I think, and then the two glow sticks yeah. uh, flashed, didn't they? You see, I loved that vehicle like so much, and obviously the I, I used to love kind of pretending to do that scene on Hoth when it goes round the legs of the Atat. Yep. Yep. And a funny story, but um, I used to play this this horrible game with um, my mate Nick at Indemand Toys and Mass at Indemand Toys. Uh, big shout out to those guys. And um, <laughs> we used to call it the Atat. And what we would do is if somebody farted, yep. you would then run around the person. Uh, you'd run around the person next to you and try and, like, using the fart kind of trail yes. as the... <laughs> <laughs> as the tow rope. As the tow rope, and then the other person would jokingly pretend to fall over like an at-at. I like it. And we did that a lot, because obviously you can imagine uh, cons and the, the amount of crap food that you yeah. end up eating. Yeah. All three of you, or, or however many of you that are in that hotel room, I'm, I'm a little upset. I'm a little Go upset that I was not aware of this story 
earlier today because you can imagine the amount of farts I did after eating 10 burgers. <laughs> I could have well, been doing that. On. I could have been running around people in the office I just doing actually, fart trails. I think we called it the Shatat. I don't think we called right. it the Atat. We called it the Shatat for obvious okay. reasons. Yes, I like it. I'm, I'm, my fa- that's, uh, yeah, uh, one of my favourite scenes is, or one of my favourite bits is, I like the tiny little obscure bits. So my favourite bit from that whole scene is um, uh, Wedge, who I'm a big fan of, just doing dead panning. Good shot, Jensen. Good shot, Jensen. But uh, yeah, that's just me. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, there'll be another question for Chris next week. Oh, I, oh yeah, okay, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. I, 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 I'm getting excited. I wanted like, for some reason, I thought I was in a test again, like this morning. I thought I was right. going to get loads of questions. No, no, no. Just the one, my friend. Just the one. Um, okay. Don't get greedy. Next week, if you want to do your homework, uh, we will be covering special missions all next week, and it is issues 18 19 20 and 21 of special missions uh, that's just a bit of a catch-up uh, show because we're a bit behind chronologically with the special missions so all special missions next week 18 to 21 you can catch us in the usual places talking underscore joe on twitter talking joe comics on instagram talking joe comics at gmail.com and talking joe at gi joe podcast big shout out to all the people that have been in contact this week um, i don't have a list of names to hand apologies but um appreciate all the kind words uh, where can the people get hold of you if they want to chat to you for some unknown reason uh, for unknown reasons you can chat to me at any most of the places as diagnostic A-T-D-I-A-G-N-O-S-T-I-K-8-0 or just hit up the full force on multiple different platforms on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and probably some other millions of places and uh, with that said and done We will catch you down the road. Done and dusted. I mean, bye. Covered in mustard. (laughs) 